there comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello, this is Mark Taylor and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Angela McIver. Hi Angela, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Hello. Can you start, let's give us a little bit of background in terms of, of where you live and, and, and your sort of family set up there and, and how your sort of education background and, and your passions lie. Sure. Um, I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the States and I live with my husband and three children. I have two children in high school and one in middle school uh, um, at the moment. Um, I have lived in Philadelphia for nearly 30 years, but I grew up out west in the western part of the United States. So my, um, my experiences growing up are very different from what my children are experiencing growing up uh, here in Philadelphia. And, and what sort of differences are those? Oh, they, they are um, tremendous. So, so I grew up in a state, New Mexico, which is a, the entire state of New Mexico at the time had a population of 1 million people in the entire state. And um, the Philadelphia area where we grew up is um, almost 3 million, uh, 3 to 5 million people, if you consider the suburban area. So my children are growing up in a very urban, uh, metropolitan um, environment. I grew up in a very suburban, southwestern environment. Um, they just have, I think, a lot more access um, as kids to their surroundings because everything is uh, walkable and um, and they're able to get on public transportation and that's not how it is um, out west. Um, everything is very far away and, and not as densely populated. So um, those experiences are different. Our schooling experiences uh, were very different too. I, I went to a very large suburban high school, um, you know, that was on many, many acres, a big campus. And uh, my children attend urban high, urban high schools, which were hard for me to get used to when I moved east. You know, it's, it's very difficult to um, see schooling on the east coast of the United States as opposed to how it looks the further west you go. It's a very interesting contrast, um, how I grew up learning and how my children are growing up. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. And, and as someone who lives in the UK, where you could almost fit our island into some of the states individually right. over there. <laughs> it's, and I mean, I, I've traveled to the US quite a few times now, but and it still just amazes me that, the, you know, the difference between state to state, let alone just the vast distances between various cities and that kind of thing. I mean, it's a, it literally is a whole world apart. Well, it's funny because when I went to college on the East Coast and I remember calling home to my parents uh, because I went home with a friend for Thanksgiving and they lived in uh, New York 
And I could not believe that we could get through so many states in like a matter of hours. Whereas if you, when you live out west, you know, you drive it five hours anyway, and you're still trying to get out of your own state. Um, so, it, yeah, the, the, it's very, it's very different, the, uh, the states. Um, you, you've mentioned already about how you, your life is very different to your children's life. Um, but what, what was the, the difference in terms of of how it feels for you from your actual sort of growing up experience as well as just the learning idea compared to what it's like there now? As a parent, I, you know, I was a child of the eighties and I, I have found that parenting in um, this millennium is very different than how I was parented as a, as a child and as a teenager and um, the intensity of academics has increased so much, at least here in the States, um, the pressure for students at young ages to know what they want to do and to um, develop resumes and get experience. It's, it's mind boggling to me. And I think it is really problematic for many, for many reasons. So I, I think that if you, if I look at the biggest contrast between my experiences learning growing up and my children's experiences, that has to be the, the most glaring, you know, and something that is difficult to negotiate as a parent, as you, as you know, we just talked about my daughter (laughs) right before this call, just the stress of, of high school for children, I think is, is really intense these days. I think it really is and 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 the one thing I've noticed what you were saying our children are about the same kind of age and and a lot of it is they have all these things they're having to deal with all the time and and also it's it's the the kind of the mixed messages I find are often sometimes key as well because lots of schools are saying oh you know you need to do this you need to do that but actually it might not be important it's only really that the government is saying that you have to do it but then at the same time they're still having to do endless papers and they're still end up having to do endless tests and so there's a kind of a mixed message and I think it's really hard for them to get a real sense of themselves and like you said you know just find out who they are and what they want to do and, and hopefully that's what this podcast is helping people with is to sort of hear people who've come from from, from their wisdom and, the, and their understanding and experience to be able to share that this is how I've been able to do it and actually this is what's kind of worked for me and I, th- I think hearing all those things is hopefully going to give them a little bit of support and guidance in, into how to navigate all of that. Absolutely. So what was valuable about your school experience? Um, you know I look back on my school experiences uh, you know as a parent now you know like I say contrasting my own children's school experiences and I think that the thing that was wonderful about my school experiences was the lack of high pressure Um, we we didn't have that and it allowed me as a student to explore many different avenues and I and you know, I talk with lots of parents these days about, you know, when when was it that we started thinking about college and when was that, you know, important? And it really wasn't until for us, our, you know, junior year of high school. But for my children, it starts in middle school, right? When they're in sixth and seventh grade, they're starting to think they're, they're hearing and getting all these messages around going to college and Um, what they need to be doing. And our children attend a school that is a a magnet high school. So you have to have certain grades and test scores to get in. So it started for them in middle school where they were very aware that they had to have good attendance and they had to have high grades and they had to do well on the test. 
um, that was not something that I experienced. And I think that was a real benefit. You, you know, you were able to be a, a, a child longer than now. I've just been spending some time with um, with some of my family. They they live about three hours away from from where I live, and um, I've had my two nieces um, in the house today. And it's they're both three years old, and it's just wonderful. You sort of forget about how just they just flip from one thing to the other. They're playing with a bit of this, they're doing a bit of that. They ask this right. question, they ask that question, and it's all just learning and experience and trying things out and giving it a go, and then doing something else. And I think it's really important for everyone to remember that's innately who we are when we're born and when we're growing up. Um, and like you said, these pressures are just something which get put on top of us. And I think a lot of the stress comes from us just innately understanding it's not really how we work. It's not really who we are. We're actually here to thrive and to, to experience things and to grow and to follow our passions and, and just to sort of see how all that goes. And I think even if we just understand that, even if we are feeling that we're up against it with whatever happens to be going on in school, just gives you a little clink um a little chink in the armor really just to be able to go oh yeah but i can just remember what it was like to have that freedom and know that you right. can find ways of being able to do that then it just gives you a little bit of a way out i think that's true and you know you know the, one of the things that i do is i i study how children learn math and i was very interested in and why so many children at least in the states uh, leave elementary school or primary school um, str still struggling in math. And I started studying how children learn math. And what I did was just sit down and interview them and have them talk to me about what was what they were thinking, what was going through their head. And I would tell students, you know, it doesn't matter if you get this answer right or wrong. I just want to know how you're thinking. But having kids open up and talk about how they think fundamentally changed the way I thought about how we teach and how students learn. And I started really figuring out, okay, we know what it is that they, that children need to learn, but how do we create an environment where they feel that passion for learning and feel engaged around learning? And that really, um, you know, something changed in me when I started sitting down and, and started asking students, just tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what's going on. Tell me how you would solve this problem. Tell me why it's a problem and how it's so hard. And we realized that the structures that we have in place now for teaching students don't allow them to build confidence and feel passion and be engaged in the learning that happens for them. And that's really unfortunate. And, and, um, at least in the States, a, a big piece of education has been focused on standardized testing and testing at every grade. And so um, learning and the curriculum has changed to respond to that in a, a really unfortunate negative way. I think that's really true. And, we, and this is probably a great time for you just to talk a little bit about um, your dinner table math and, and, and exactly how this way of education fits into your life and, and how you've enabled um, your life to, to work around yourself as a business owner? Oh, sure. So, you know, I got very interested in this. I was a former middle school math teacher, but I left teaching math to run a program um, in the United States, the Department of Education uh, funds programs for low-income first-generation students. So these are students who would be the first in their families to go to college and um, come from low-income families. 
and we were housed on university campuses. And I would I ran this program to um, expose high school students to post-secondary education, to what it would be like to go to university. And they lived on the campuses during the summer. We were a math science program. So our charge was not only to get students to go to college, but we wanted to get them to go to college to major in math and science fields. And we were very successful getting kids into college. However, our children started um, dropping out of their math and science majors in their first year. And I couldn't figure out why. So I started sitting in on the classes because we were we were housed on a university campus. I went to the professors and said, can I just sit in on the classes and find out what's going on? And I discovered that students are dropping out of the classes, not because of what they failed to learn in high school, but because of what they failed to learn in elementary school, that they just didn't have this foundation for being able to, uh, you know, really actively participate in, in higher level math classes. It was very shaky. And I started looking for assessments and professional development we could use with our teachers to address this. And I couldn't find anything and decided to go back to school to study this, study older children with weak math foundations. So uh, that's what I did. And that was uh, my dissertation looked at older students and was um, based on interviews of, of students solving problems and just talking me through how they were thinking. And it fundamentally changed the way I thought about teaching. And I started my first business actually was working with middle and high school um, teachers around remediation. Like this is really what the problem is. This is really why students are are struggling. And this is how you can, you know, um, um, fill that gap, close that gap. And I was very content working in that area, but then my own children started elementary school. And I initially thought that our children were struggling in math because they failed to learn the math that was taught in our elementary schools. But I, I began to realize that the math that was being taught in elementary schools, at least here in the States, I, I felt, um, was not aligned well with what was needed for middle and high school success. And, um, you know, our children were attending a highly rated school and uh, um, looked really great on paper. But when I was digging down in the curriculum, I realized that there were so many areas that our kids were missing. And so I started an after school program for my daughter and her friends, and it grew. And so, so that kind of shifted my entrepreneurial um, pursuits and I started focusing on elementary school students and working with them. And it, it, it really was just that kind of side thing. We ran it out of our house initially, um, but it got so big and we had a waiting list that in 2014, I found a commercial space and um, opened up, we, it's called Trapezium Math Club. And it's a, a club where kids come after school and they do math. But we teach kids in a very different way. If you came into our space, there are no tables and chairs in our space. We sit on the floor. Everyone takes off their shoes. We sit on the floor. There are whiteboard walls. So kids, you know, kids have their own, can move where they need to move, how they need to move. If they need to get up and, you know, 
uh, walk around while they're trying to figure out a problem they can. Uh, we give kids that freedom. We didn't want it to feel like a classroom. And that was one of the things that is, you know, really my focus is what are the, what is the environment that maximizes learning for children and makes them um, love to come to school, makes them love to, um, love to, to do the math. And we found that we could give students much harder math when we optimized the environment that they were in and when we gave them permission to fail. Um, yeah, you know, made them really comfortable with struggle and, and developing tenacity. And so uh, we've been doing that for many years. And what I, I started doing was developing these activities and curriculum for schools and teachers. But when parents came to pick their kids up from our program, they, you know, I would, I would tell them what they could work with their child on home to build their skills. And I would say, you know, we have these materials that we saw in the schools and the parents started buying the school materials. And we realized that we could develop materials specifically for parents to um, work with their children at home on math in a way that isn't like the typical workbook math. You know, most people think that when they're working on math, they just need to get a workbook and make their child do all these mm -hmm. drills. And our math really is um, intended to engage both the parent and the child and doesn't require paper and pencils generally and um, are fun activities that develop reasoning and fluency for young children in math. So. Um, that's the, the long story and how we got to where, where I am today. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think it's a little bit like I said before, I guess. It's it's that kind of when when you see kids growing up, you know, they have that innate skill of what they're doing. You know, you, you never see a toddler trying to stand up and walk once. You know, <laughs> they do it hour <laughs> after hour after hour. And it's just part of what they do, you know. And I think reconnecting with that, just that kind of every time you don't get something right, you've worked out how not to do it. So therefore, you're slightly closer to understanding it and Absolutely. doing it again. And going round and round that cycle. And when you can embrace that, the the whole world just feels like a completely different place, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I didn't learn that until I was an adult. You know, maybe uh, when I was in college or graduate school, I, you know, I, I learned, I didn't take it personally. I didn't, I didn't think that it was, you know, it was me and that I, I, you know, for the longest time I thought, you know, I just must not be smart or I'm not as smart as this person. And, that's not the, that's not it, you know, it's that whole growth mindset that, that children need it, but that's really hard to teach kids. It's really hard. We've really focused on that and find that it is, it is really difficult. And I think part of it is these mixed messages they get around schooling and the importance of schooling. Um, a friend of mine's daughter just uh, was applying for colleges and one of the schools she said, was upset about a grade that she got in an early quarter in the year. So she ended the year with like a A or a B in her physics class, but earlier than the first term she had a C and the school was really worried about that. And I thought that is horrible because the message that you're sending is that you can't do, you can't fail, you know, you can't do poorly uh, ever. And I think we send kids mixed messages when we have that they they don't want to try at something that they think they may fail at because we are reinforcing that message um whether we know it or not 
yeah i think that's very true and it, and it it sounds like all the people that you're you're involved in teaching are, uh, <laughs> are very lucky to sort of to be actually experiencing that on a regular basis and um and i guess that brings us on nicely into um which teachers when you were in school who do you remember and what was it about them that that really sticks out for you you know the teachers that stuck out for me were the teachers who clearly loved what they were doing they either loved teaching or they loved their subject and that really made a difference and and you know there are i have many teachers like that i i wish i could say that i had more teachers than not but that's actually not true you know i had more teachers who i felt that you certainly didn't see the passion but you know it only takes one or two that are really great so i had some great high school teachers who in um, several of my subjects um, who really loved the subject and got me to love the subject and want to learn more and when i was in college i had the great economics professor who um, I was not an economics major initially, and then I took an economics course and realized how much I loved it because it was so mathematical. It made so much sense, but um, it, 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 I think that the underlying common denominator for the teachers that impacted me in my life were those who had a true passion for what they were doing or for who they were teaching. And I think that's true for all of us, isn't it? Everyone listening in terms of if if you spend your time doing what you're really passionate about, then that just comes across in a way which is almost unteachable because it's just your true personality shining through. And I think that really is an important thing for us all to remember. Who did you admire when you were young and what was it about that person that had such an impact? I had there were there were a number of people that I admired when I was young. You know, and it's funny because it's in retrospect when I look back and I and I think about how I, my father probably is one of the people I admired the most when I was a child, and I think because he was he was also so enthusiastic about um, his children, and and I think you know my father when my parents had five children, my father was a physician. And um, he wasn't home a lot, but when he was home, he always came up with these projects for me to do. And I, when I look back on it, I realized that I was probably the only one of the, the children who was very excited about this. He, he could get me to do almost anything. So I remember one summer, he was like, you know, we have all these, this is back in the day of card catalogs, right? Yeah. Um, so this is before the internet, before you could search things up online. And we had a light, we had a fairly large library of books. And my father um, said to me, you know, it would be really great if we could get a card catalog, we could organize these books and you could create a card catalog and you can, you know, you could do it by subject, by author, by title, and I'll get you all the stuff you need. And I was like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> that was my summer project and it. And um, I think, how did he get me to do that? He was able to get me to do a lot of things like that, um, just for for his enthusiasm for it. So I have to say, my dad, he was also he. I mean, he's still alive, and he's he's uh, just wonderful. But he was he was just a very different father for that generation. I realize, and and I it had an impact. It's had an impact on how I live my life and how I kind of. Um, feel like I have power and agency. And I think that was unusual for um, 
for that generation to do that. So for instance, when we were growing up, we would get an allowance, but my father would pass this book around the table at the end of the, you know, at the end of the week on Sundays, he'd be like, okay, so how much should you get? And he never, like we, you know, like the cap would be maybe $10. I don't remember what it was. And then he would just give us this book and we had to write down what we thought we actually earned. And when I thought back on it, I was like, we never asked for the whole $10 because I would, you know, we would say, oh, you know, I didn't make my bed on Tuesday and then I was really, I didn't really do my part of the kitchen when I had to clean it. You know, we would, we would do that. And so we would, we would take my own and he never questioned. He would just look at what we wrote and then he'd be like, okay. And he would give it to us. And I think that, you know, now looking back on it, I was like, that was so progressive at that time, I guess, or so, but it, it was so wonderful because he really believed in us, believed in me. And that was really big. Really sounds amazing. And I, and I really like that because you really have to think about everything, don't you, in, in terms of putting a value on it. And like I said, it's whether you did an amount of time on something or, or the number of things you were going to do. And I, th- I think that's fantastic. It's a really interesting way of doing it, especially having you know gone through the whole kind of pocket money and allowance thing with our children in terms of of having you know there's a certain amount you do get there's a certain amount you could have if you do more chores or would you like to do more of this would that this would really help us out around the house and it's interesting seeing their reaction to all those things and whether they think it's a positive or a negative or whether we're just literally asking them to do things they shouldn't be entitled to do (laughs) I don't know it's always a little bit but I've never uh, I think that particular way of just sort of you can do whatever you like this is what we think this is what you should do what you could do and and what value to put on that I think it's a really like I say progressive is probably the right kind of phrase for it's brilliant right yeah I think you know I this didn't come back to me really until I was a parent myself and I started thinking about the things that my father did and it was you know I am so thankful for that It, it had an impact on me in so many ways and what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you so when I was in college, I was given the advice or the saying that has kind of lived with me, excuses are tools of the incompetent. And it was at a point when I made an excuse for not doing something. And um, that really, truly has stuck with me from that point on. Like excuses are tools of the incompetent and don't, you know, don't come with excuses own what you do own what you didn't do and um i i have to think that that probably is the best piece of advice i got (laughs) or best saying that it has served as kind of a guiding principle for me yeah, no, no I, I really like that. I've, I've heard that in a couple of guises and it, it really does hit home, doesn't it? That I think sort of owning either side of it, you know, if you really want to do it, it's important, you will. If you don't want to do it, you'll find a reason not to. But either way, it's still your decision. And uh, right. really an important thing to remember, I think. Absolutely. And what advice would you give your younger self now? You know, I was afraid to fail as a child. You know, I I did really well in school and then I I got to a point where things were hard and it was hard because I was supposed to work on it. I wasn't used to having to work. And I think that's a, 
that's a, a, a challenge that parents have with kids who get things quickly, right? And you, you're worried that once they hit something that requires hard work, they're not going to know how to deal with it. And I didn't know how to deal with it as a as a um, as a child. And I quit things that I shouldn't have because I just thought I wasn't good at it. And it really was because I didn't I I didn't realize that you have to work at it. Um, I was fortunate to be uh, to not struggle when I was in an elementary in middle school and I was in a gifted program, whatever that means, um, you know, pull out to get extra enrichment, that kind of stuff. But there was a point where I couldn't just sit in class and absorb the material and learn it. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to study. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't learn that until, you know, I got to college. I kind of figured it out, but high school, I didn't take the, you know, the hardest classes I could have because I just thought I wasn't smart. I thought I had reached my potential, right? And mm. I I would tell my younger self, um, that's crazy. <laughs> you need to work. <laughs> you need to sit down and, and get some work done. Right? It, it really is. And and I and I and it does amaze me. I've I've had this conversation with my wife a few times. That kind of I find it almost unbelievable that when you're being educated in school, you're often not educated in how to learn <laughs> and, right. and, and, and like you say so there are some people who just get stuff for a long time which is great on the surface of it but then like you say at some point you have to actually learn because either you reach the capacity of what you can just absorb because it gets too difficult and then you have to work it out that way or it might, you might be someone who who struggles from an early age just because you learn in a different way and the system doesn't quite fit for you but until you realize that you actually have to work out what works for you and that's the other thing it's different for lots of different people but once you get that as a concept and an idea then 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 you can work at it in whichever way you can and 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 it's i have to say it's where some of the sports things that our kids have done i found to be really positive um katie our youngest um is into gymnastics and recently she's been doing tumbling um and there's been some real great skills in there in terms of she wasn't able to do a flick when she first started and she didn't Mm -hmm. do it the second week or the third week because you have to build that core strength and you need all the skills that they put into it but just by doing the same things week in week out regularly not seeing massive differences until that one day that all the things just fall into place and then you can do it and then you can do two and then before you know it you're you're doing things you could never imagine before but there's a little bit of faith a little bit of understanding that the people that are right. coaching you the people that are guiding you are able to support you in what you're trying to achieve and you might not see that immediate result but learning that it's over a course of time over a, a program of doing something you will get there if you just persevere at it that's so true and you know I really try to, well, I do a lot of work with teachers, professional development with teachers, and I try to, I've tried in the past to use this coaching metaphor. And, you know, I ask people if they've ever done sports as a child or whatever. And this idea of yourself as a coach, like if you think of yourself as a coach and not necessarily as a teacher, I think teachers think their job is to provide information. You know, they're like, they, they're, they are, the purveyors of this information and the children take it in, right? But coaches don't think like that. Coaches say, okay, I have this team and I need to figure out where their strengths and their weaknesses are. And I need to give them, you know, a program that builds on their individual strengths, right? Because I want the entire team to succeed. And I, you know, developed this program a few years ago for teachers 
that was based on this coaching model. And it was so surprising to me how few teachers adopted that. It, you know, it's a paradigm shift as a teacher. You know, if you think, if you think of yourself as a coach, then you teach in a very different way. And I think that is, that would be key in moving the needle in terms of education is that if we can get more teachers to think of themselves as coaches, um, it changes what you do. And you're right, um, sports and athletics really help drive that home. And you can use that with your children, you know, when they are struggling in school, you can say, yeah, but remember when you couldn't tumble and you had to just keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing. For sure. I mean that that that's that's definitely true. And and the thing that's just struck me there because my, my teaching experience because I'm a I'm a musician and a, and a drummer and I and I teach drums both as a as a whole class. It's all rhythm rhythm workshops, which is obviously very different because you're trying to get everybody involved and you come up with ways to to support everyone and for them to support themselves. But when I'm teaching drums individually or percussion individually. Like you said, because it's one on one. Just because you've taught a certain way for one child, it doesn't necessarily work for the next one. So all the time you're having to reassess what you're doing. Which I guess if you're a teacher in a classroom all the time, you you don't have so much of that one to one time where you're having to make sure that this person understands in the same way. So I guess in some ways I'm quite privileged to sort of have that sort of been able to see both sides of the coin and just having to work out. You know, so you don't understand it this way, but we can try it this way and you can try it this way. And with the experience, obviously you get to do a myriad of ways of doing it. But there are still times you get stumped because there's everybody's different and you come across someone who who's a mixture of all of those things and you have to work out a new way at that point as well. Right, right. That's absolutely it. So what does your future look like? Wow, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I am, you know, I left teaching and education to um, build a business and I absolutely love it and it, 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 you know, takes me in all these different directions. Um, I really want to empower parents to um, feel confident in working with their children, you know, in math. And um, that's different than teaching classes of kids. It's really teaching parents how they can, they can be a support for their own children. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you have the same phenomena in the United States. There's a real, there's this phenomena of people saying, you know, I was just never good at math. Or I'm not a math person. And, and this belief that math is something that you are either good at or you're not, you know, like you're born with it or you're not. And so it's really hard to get parents to uh, feel comfortable and confident working with their children if they've had negative experiences themselves in um, school in math. And so I think my future really is that, you know, I my past or my present is working and teaching teachers and teaching children. And I, I feel like my future is teaching parents. And, and, and that, I guess, is really key from both your professional experience and also, like say, as a parent yourself, when these things start to align and sort of cross over, then yeah, I think I think that's quite exciting, isn't it? Because you can really sort of see your whole life sort of in in enveloping exactly who you are and what you do with all of those skills together. Right, absolutely. Um, what resource has had the biggest impact on your life, and why was that? And I guess this could be a, a podcast, a book, a, a video, a film, a song, or, or anything which has just really touched you and made a, a, a real impact for you. 
Oh my goodness. I mean, there's, there's so many books. And so I always said, when people ask me that, I always say it'd be the last book that I read or the last <laughs> book that I, that, <laughs> cause there, there were so many, um, you know, I, lo- I love podcasts. I listen to many of them and, um, the one podcast that I find so interesting and so helpful for me in terms of just it, I always kind of come away from that podcast with a different um, sense of like my purpose and where I need to go and how I need to focus is the podcast, How I Built This with Guy Raz, who looks at entrepreneurs. And that's because that's my space. That's what I'm doing. And I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, he talks to entrepreneurs and and just talks to them about what their process was or how they um, moved forward. And I love that podcast. I also love this other history podcast called Uncivil, um, which really uh, looks at it looks at the Civil War in the United States from a different lens, and it's really amazing and great. So those those um, those influence me quite a bit. I, I really like that, and obviously, as as a podcaster myself, I love it when people have podcasts at the, at the at the top of the things which really influence them. And I think as podcasts get more and more accessible, people understand them because you can just dive into things which you're interested in, specific for you and what you're into. It's a it's a fantastic medium, and it's it's really exciting to be to be part of that world. And um, if you want to know any of the resources that we've talked about here if you go to educationonfire.com and in the search bar put in angela mciver then um we'll have details of all the show notes and everything on this podcast so people will be able to click through and and get links to all these things as well so um thank you angela i mean for people who are really interested in what you're doing and what you've been talking about especially if they as parents or, or certainly people in, in involved in math um what's the best way for them to find out more information about you and, and where can they find out those details so we can, you know, our website is um, dinnertablemath.com, www.dinnertablemath.com, but they can reach us on any of our social media platforms. My Twitter is just my name, Angela McIver, but we have Dinner Table Math uh, on Facebook as well and uh, Instagram. That's lovely. And thank you, Angela, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your great experiences. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.